Michael Osterlink here with Nan Swift. She's the Federal Affairs Manager for the National Taxpayers Union. How you doing, Nan? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, so we are in um, July of 2016. Uh, lots going on this year. We have the election. Uh, we have the NDAA. One of the issues that we know that you work on is defense reform. Um, but before we get into kind of the broader budget issues, the 2016 political atmosphere, the National Defense Authorization Act, et cetera, et cetera, Tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into policy work. Well, I grew up in North Central Pennsylvania, Williamsport, home of Little League Baseball. And from a really young age, I've cared a lot about uh, freedom and making people more free. My first uh, professional job here in D.C. was at the Leadership Institute, where I learned a lot of great tools for affecting the public policy process. And I thought, you know what, instead of just teaching people these things, I'd like to do it myself. So I worked at um, FreedomWorks and now at NTU, where I get to um, work with The Hill, help um, stop bad ideas, foster good ones, and um, hopefully make a difference for taxpayers outside the Beltway. Well, you definitely do make a difference. And uh, as a taxpayer, definitely appreciate your work. Uh, talk to about some of the issues that you work on, because I know you work on other issues besides defense reform. Well, I work a lot on um, energy policy. Everyone needs affordable, reliable energy. It affects every part of our economy and our well-being. It's really just the lifeblood of, of the civilization that we have. So I love working on energy policy. I also work on um, agriculture reform, um, budgets, spending, taxes, uh, you name it. If it affects you and your wallet, I work on it. Speaking of affecting you in your wallet, uh, let's talk about um, a recent letter that you helped put together with uh, Taxpayers for Common Sense. Tell us about the letter related to uh, defense spending and other such related issues. Well, this is a really um, interesting coalition letter, but by way of background, in the House version of the National Defense Authorization Act, the legislation that authorizes uh, what the Pentagon school year 2017 they have a really insidious gimmick. This um, forces the military to spend OCO dollars, the Overseas Contingency Operations Account, by April 30. That's the deadline. <laughs> and um, at that point, the legislation says, well, then the president should ask for an emergency supplemental. This raises a lot of problems. The first being that it's really hard for the Pentagon to spend all the rest of the money that they have for OCO in that short time frame. It's basically cutting this in half for them. Um, that's just an enormous spend rate, and they don't have the capacity to do that. So it gives them, you know, this lose it, use it or lose it mentality, which isn't a good way for anyone to be budgeting. Right. Second, um, when you have an emergency supplemental or overseas things, these tend not to be paid for. The 2011 Budget Control Act said that you know, emergency spending, OCO spending, these things are kind of off-budget, as if this is suddenly pretend money because it's <laughs> on a different part of the ledger. Um, so any spending that would be considered emergency supplemental would probably be not offset, not paid for, and will only add to our debt. Um, at the same time, this sets up a really unhealthy dynamic with between Republicans and Democrats because the Democrats are going to insist on parity for non-defense spending. Uh, again, this is a, a feature of the Budget Control Act. 
So we're going to see, you know, a big plus up in spending probably across the board. In essence, this April 30 deadline, this totally arbitrary deadline, sets up a budget crisis. It schedules it. It creates an artificial fiscal cliff. And what will make this even messier at the time is that not long before this, the debt limit is going to be um, coming due. We're going to have another debt ceiling fight. And um, depending on what happens this fall, if we had a six-month continuing resolution, as many people on the Hill want, that would also be ending around the same time. So all of these factors together are setting up kind of a budget battle royale to once again bust the caps, once again increase spending and leave taxpayers even further behind on all the savings that they were promised in 2011. So that's the background. It's pretty confusing, but uh, we've organized a group of 18 uh, fiscally conservative groups of common sense, people like Americans for Tax Reform, um, Americans for Prosperity, Freedom Works, uh, lots of other groups were all uniting. And some of these groups do not even work on defense spending the way we do, but they can see that this um, gimmick in the budget, uh, in the defense spending is going to set up really bad stuff down the road in other areas of the budget. So everyone, no matter what you think about defense spending, needs to be paying attention to these kinds of gimmicks. Let's go back and, and uh, explain some of the terms and yeah. kind of a deeper dive. So this is kind of a confusing topic. Yeah, because there's a lot of It hurts pieces. everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you mentioned the 2011 Budget Control Act. Can mm -hmm. you just explain a little bit about that? Well, sure. Um, the 2011 Budget Control Act was a deal that Congress made when they couldn't um, come up with um, a better way to fit and to deal with the debt ceiling. They said, okay, if we can't come up with a good deal, you know, we'll go with this kind of extreme measure. It was to try to force themselves to make a deal. They couldn't. So what the Budget Control Act did was, first of all, it imposed a sequester. Um, it said, you know, that we're going to peel back spending in the first uh, first year of this unless um, we budget to lower spending levels for through about 2022 um, caps. Really um, modest ones, sometimes it's called cuts on the Hill, but that's disingenuous because these aren't cuts, it's just not spending as much as you hoped <laughs> to spend. <laughs> Um, they've been modified several times since then, but is that when it comes to discretionary spending, the spending that's not mandatory or automatic, like entitlements, um, defense and non-defense um, have parity, are the same. So this kind of uses the worst instincts of both Democrats and Republicans against each other. Because of course Republicans want to see more defense spending. That's a really core value for them. But they can't raise defense spending without having to sue if these two groups want to restrain the other's priorities or if they want to plus up their own, then they have to you know, kind of take some deals that they don't want to on the other side. So this, they were hoping that this dynamic would you know, work in taxpayers' favor to restrain everything. Unfortunately, it doesn't reach agreement, it just plus up everything, which is the opposite of how we'd hope this would work. And it certainly um, doesn't get taxpayers any nearer to the savings um, that they were promised under the original deal. 
You mentioned the uh, GOP's uh, uh, interest in always increasing defense spending. Um, it, it seems to be a, a habit of mm-hmm. theirs over time because they can be, quote-unquote, strong on national security and defense mm-hmm. and all that kind of good stuff. But it seems to me that the, there was, around 2010-2011, with the uh, inflow of the tea willingness to, to kind of challenge that. Yeah, well, I think that at the time we had a crop of great new members of Congress who understood that you can be strong on defense, but that doesn't automatically translate to more dollars. Mm-hmm. Dollars don't equal to that. We apply the same logic all the time to topics like education. We don't believe that throwing more money automatically makes a school better. In the same way, we don't believe that throwing more money at the Pentagon makes us more safe. And they were willing to you know, turn a critical eye to all parts of the federal budget, um, make them all accountable to taxpayers. Okay, so we've got the 2011 Budget Control Act. You mentioned OCO, Overseas mm-hmm. Contingency Operations Funds. Speak a little about that and the kind of money that we're, we're talking about and what it's supposed to be used for versus what it's actually being used for. Well, the Overseas Contingency Operations Account, or OCO, um, was actually something that's been around since the mid-90s. And at the time, it just had um, a little bit of money in it that was actually kind of left over. Whatever wasn't spent in other accounts went here for true contingencies, emergencies, things that no one could have anticipated and weren't foreseen, stuff like, you know, um, operations in the Balkans at the time. And it's just kind of, you know, been in the background, been this, you know, proper emergency fund. Everyone should have one of their own. Um, And then when we entered the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, these were funded with a series of emergency supplementals just you know, we're going to have these troops in the field, we need the money. Um, But over time, Congress said, you know, this isn't a good, sustainable way to fund what we're doing over there. We need to change that. And the Obama administration agreed, um, and they called this OCA. And this is off-budget, so it's not paid for, it's not constrained by the Budget Control Act. Um... It's debatable as to whether that's right or wrong. We certainly wouldn't want to leave um, anyone on the front lines without the tools and resources they need to be safe and to execute their mission. But on the other hand, um, there's a lot better ways that we could do it. Any spending really should be paid for. It's our real dollars and it's real debt that our children and grandchildren are going to have to pay. Um, and these are largely unaccountable. There's not very much transparency. We don't know how these dollars are being spent or where they're going. And increasingly, because this is off budget, um, instead of making the tough decisions to rein in the wasteful spending at the Pentagon, um, lawmakers are saying, oh, let's just put this in OCO. We need more F-35s, OCO. And they've even gone so far as to shift billions of dollars from OCO into the base budget, totally um, against what um, they should be doing under the Budget Control Act, but they've waived those um, points of order against it. And now, you know, even this year, in some of the funding bills, they call to you for using OCO in um, Missouri to build a fire station, to um, build new hangars, really anything that's construction. It's not OCO. <laughs> you are planning this. You're not. There's no such thing as an emergency, you know, fire station or, or or things like this. It's all planned for well in advance. So we're now not using things that are overseas 
and we're not using it for things that are emergencies. This has really just become a slush fund. Yeah, definitely seen as a slush fund on the right. But let me ask you a question because uh, you mentioned you know there are there are contingencies, mm-hmm. but I would imagine after the first year or so in Afghanistan or the first year or so in Iraq, you know you're there. Right. You know it's going to cost money. Yeah. You know, is it really useful tool to use OCO as a way to pay for those kind of things? I don't think that's a proper use of it. It's hard to say that, you know, these costs are anticipated. Yeah. Okay. So we got the Budget Control Act of 2011, a little overview of OCO. You mentioned the debt ceiling coming up. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about the debt ceiling and why we should be concerned. Well, the debt ceiling is the limit on how much we can borrow as a nation to continue, you know, funding all the things we want and not... Um, leaving anything on the cutting room floor. (laughs) Um, This has been a a point of contention regularly in in Congress, Um, and it's good and bad. It's good in that, you know, it's a point that forces people to consider really, you know, how much we're spending, how we're going to pay for it, and the debt that we need to accrue in order to, um, you know, make good on our promises, and these promises include other debt and paying the interest on them. Um, It's important that we maintain our credit worthiness, so um, in that essence we can't, you know, default on on these promises, which some people are concerned that we might were we not to continue to increase the debt limit and the debt ceiling when those um, come around, but several members of Congress have good plans um, that would help prevent that by prioritizing how we spend funds as they come in, you know, because there's always a constant inflow of cash to the federal government through all kinds of taxes and fees throughout the year, and they would prioritize this by saying, you know, these funds go to funding our military, social security benefits, you know, and interests that we don't default on anything, and the rest, you know, we make the tough choices then but we can't keep taking on more debt. We've supported plans like that in the past, um, but it's really unclear until we see you know, what Congress and the next administration looks like, what will happen in March. And it's important for uh, taxpayers to realize that as high and as much taxes as they, they give to the federal government to pay for programs, it doesn't cover a lot of the costs of these programs. No, we have... Yeah. Um, enormous deficits every year um, and that gets added on to to our national debt which is at a sky high um, 18 trillion dollars if I'm remembering correctly yeah so that fights coming up soon mm-hmm. um, you have uh, um, you mentioned uh, the continuing resolution I think it was yes. as a possible way for, to fund things into the new year mm-hmm. and the timing of that would be close to the yep. April deadline for the yeah. war supplemental Talk about a continuing resolution. What does that actually mean? A continuing resolution, or CR, um, simply means that Congress wasn't able to pass all the appropriation bills, the bills that fund different parts of the federal government. So you can have a CR that covers, you know, all or just the portion of appropriations that wasn't passed, um, and says, you know, we're going to continue funding at the very same levels of the previous fiscal year. So in some ways it's a win for taxpayers because it's technically kind of a cut. We're not going to increase spending, at least for a time period or those several months. That way they can keep the doors open and the lights on until they have an environment where they feel they can make um, better decisions. Cool. 
Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is in the next nine months, we're going to face a lot of major challenges. Mm -hmm. um, let's step back, though, and just talk about uh, general Pentagon reform, if, if, we, sure. if we can. Um, audit the Pentagon. Required by law since the mid-90s. Required by law since the mid-90s, let me repeat that. Uh, every government agency except for the Pentagon has been successfully audited. What are your thoughts on an audit? Well, I think it's really shameful that this most critical area of what our federal government does can't pass a basic audit. We don't know where the money's going, how it's being spent. Um, there's no place where it's more important that we know these things. And it's frustrating that a dollar at the Pentagon doesn't get the same scrutiny that a dollar does, say, at the EPA or the Department of Energy, or, or anywhere else. It's still a dollar that came out of someone's pocket, um, and it matters how we spend that, and that it should be done responsibly. Um, I think we have a couple uh, points of hope on this. Okay. There's uh, some lawmakers, particularly on the right, who um, you would expect would continue to give the, the Pentagon a pass on these things, are starting to say, you know what, this isn't right. It does need, they do need to pass an audit, and um, we need to get them to where, you know, their systems are working together. There's, there are many hurdles that I would readily admit to um, making this audit happen, but we should give them the resources they need to do this. This is a basic good governance thing that will help us have better accountability going forward. So more lawmakers are um, starting to support this notion, notion are, um, also including the GOP platform, right? right? I was going to say, and are saying it's critical that yeah. they that we see movement on this in the next year. Um, and just on Monday, it was um, the GOP platform officially included this. It passed um, at the convention. It doesn't have a lot of teeth, but it's a platform. It doesn't have to. It's mm. not the force of law. But I think this is a really good indicator that Republicans will begin to. Um, gain a little bit of credibility on this issue. Would you say it, it's a little disingenuous for some of the more uh, defense hawks to call for more spending if, in fact, they don't really know where it's being spent since we haven't been able to audit the Pentagon? That's incredibly problematic, for sure. Um, and there's, you know, we know that there's munitions that we don't need, depots that are old and aging, and we have lots of infrastructure that um, you know, there's too much of because they have done an audit of uh, infrastructure needs. So to say that we just you know give them more money without us knowing where it goes and how it's spent is really irresponsible, but not surprising. Definitely not surprising. So uh, you've been working in defense for a while, doing a great job. Um, what are some of your bugaboos? What are some of the programs that you look at and go, I can't believe as a taxpayer and a thoughtful American we are actually funding these kind of things. Well, I would say that OCO makes me most distressed. Yeah. This is just a pure gimmick. And, you know, perhaps other programs with the F-35, I think this is a major waste. The littoral combat ship, oh my word, that makes my head want to explode. I mean, this is a ship that catches on fire, that has <clears throat> problems with rusty hulls, that isn't, quote-unquote, survivable in a combat situation. This is... <laughs> really problematic <laughs> so why why are we buying more of them it uh -huh. just baffles my mind 
But even then, you know, I don't want to say anything about strategy. I'm, you know, I'm not someone who's making those decisions. So, you know, the argument could be made that we need a ship that has those capabilities. But the way that um, parochial politics and um, misguided notions about using the Pentagon as a jobs program, mm -hmm. it's so frustrating because especially people on the right we should not be Keynesians. We don't believe that the government creates jobs, and yet we use the Defense Department and all of our pet projects there as a jobs program all the time, as if to say that capitalism works except for the Pentagon and farms. <laughs> so I would say that just that bigger idea um, makes it really hard to have good reforms, makes mm -hmm. it hard to move this issue forward, but defies all reason. Amen. So, uh, where can we find out more information about your work? Because I do know you, you blog. Yeah. And uh, NTU puts out a lot of great information on a wide variety of topics, including Pentagon reform. Where can you find your stuff? Everything is at NTU.org. And you can sign up there to get our updates on how to take action on important issues. Um, we have all kinds of studies that are helpful to taxpayers on tax complexity and even we even provide resources on how to lower your property taxes so check it out fantastic thanks nan you're welcome thanks for having me